0: All right, guys, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to kind of skip around because last time we did the feeding of the 5,000, right? And so this kind of gets is like if we could picture it as being a sandwich. What we're about to do is the bread on the sandwich. So it's the beginning and then the middle would be the feeding of the 5,000 and then right after that. So we're going to go one side of the bread, other side of the bread, if that makes sense. So it'll be... Luke, um, seven through nine, or excuse me, Luke nine verses seven through nine, and then jumping forward to verses 18 through 22. Cause they, I believe they tie together really well. And, um, we didn't necessarily have to have them to do the feeding of the 5,000. So it kind of made more sense in my mind to break it up the way I have. So that's where we're at right now. Um, if you want to grab your Bibles in turn, I would always encourage you to read your Bible. Um, Luke nine, 7 through 9 and 18 through 22. Let me go ahead and read it and we'll get into this. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. (laughs) Jumping forward to verse 18. Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell, no, tell this to no one saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would do an amazing work in our hearts, drawing us closer to you and helping us to know Jesus better. Lord, I surrender my mouth to you, my thoughts to you, and and just my being to you, and I pray that you would help by your spirit to teach clearly your word. Lord, I pray that it would magnify the name of Jesus and that we would be encouraged and built up in our faith. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, so um, I kind of broke this up, but I called this, which I don't normally name things, but it made a lot of sense to me to call it, Who is Jesus? Real simple, right? So verses 7 through 9, we have these rumors about Jesus. It says, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. So who's Herod the Tetrarch? Herod the Tetrarch was the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the king who met with the wise men from the east, remember? From early on in the book of Luke. And he's the one who, out of like fear and jealousy and all kinds of other insanity, had all of the male children, ages two and under, in Bethlehem killed. Because he was trying to kill Jesus. He had heard that the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. And so he was like, no, there's no, there's going to be no king but me. And he had all of the baby boys killed. Well, this Herod, the one that we're reading about now, is his son. And a tetrarch, Herod the tetrarch. A tetrarch is like an office that was in the Roman government. So he's, he's a king. He's not quite as big as his dad, Herod the Great, was. But he is he's in charge of some things. He's been appointed to be in charge of some things um, under the empire of Rome. Does that make sense? A tetrarch means a fourth. So some people have supposed that he was in charge of a fourth of the kingdom, like they broke it up. So Herod's a king. He's an official in the Roman government. And it says that Herod the tetrarch heard about all that was happening. He's hearing rumors about Jesus. Now we might ask ourselves, Okay, wait a minute. What's the rumor at the water cooler of the palace about Jesus? What was the scuttlebutt? (laughs) I always wanted to say scuttlebutt in a sermon, so I just did. Um, (laughs) We we read about, um, excuse me, I was going to say Rome. We read about Herod in the Roman Empire finding out about Jesus. But remember who Jesus is. Jesus is on the humanity side, homeless, poor. He's a Jewish teacher. And by the way, Herod was an Edomite. So he, even though he was in charge of the Jewish nation, he actually was from the nation of Edom, or the, what you might call an Ediuman. Um Anyways, Herod was in charge of them, and he's hearing about this homeless Jewish teacher who's working miracles, a carpenter who became a teacher. Okay, so just kind of, it seems almost... Not crazy, but just like clearly people are talking about Jesus if even the name of Jesus has reached the palace. And we find out that Jesus is being talked about in the palace. So I know I've I've kind of hit that hard, but I want us to really grab a hold of how amazing that is, that Jesus is being talked about even in a palace of an Edomite. What um, What Herod is saying, it says, He heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because now he's hearing what the opinions about Jesus are. It says that uh, it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. That's John the Baptist. By some that Elijah had appeared. Remember, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. Or that by others that one of the other prophets of old had risen. So there's these opinions about Jesus and they're pretty high opinions really but they're not high enough of opinions. Does that makes sense. Elijah was a very revered guy. Even John the Baptist during that time, the people had a lot of respect for John because a lot of people viewed him as a prophet. So that there, they have a fairly high opinion of who Jesus is. And this is the rumor going around the palace. Um, and this is what perplexed Herod. He says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. In other words, in my this is my opinion. I think it kind of scared Herod a little bit, hearing like, wait a minute, I know I beheaded John. See, the story of how John was beheaded is, is a gross, weird story. But in the, at the end of the story, he has the head of John the Baptist put on a silver platter and delivered to his, how did the relationship work? His brother's wife's daughter. So his niece, he, she requested the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he had, he had gotten all worked up by a dance that she did and decided, okay, whatever you ask for, I'll give you. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head. She didn't like some of the things John the Baptist had been saying about her mom. Basically, he was calling it like it was, and he was willing to say what sin was, and that got him killed. And so it freaked Herod out, I believe, a little bit to hear, wait a minute, how is John alive? I know that I saw his head on a plate, which is gross, but if you think about it, that would be freaky. You saw somebody die, and you hear about him being alive. But so then he wants to see Jesus. Well, in Luke 23, we find out a little bit more. Luke 23, 8-12 through 12, tell us that Herod wanted to see Jesus, but because he wanted to see some miracle done by him. In other words, he viewed him as like a magician. He wanted to see him do tricks. And it says when Herod, when Jesus, after he'd been arrested, was stood, stood before Pilate, Pilate finds out that he's from Galilee. Jesus is from Galilee, and that's Herod's jurisdiction. So he moves him and sends him to Herod, and it And this is where Jesus is essentially put on trial before Herod, but Jesus never opens his mouth. Not one word doesn't say anything to Herod ever. It says that the chief priests and the scribes vehemently accused him of things, but he never opened his mouth. Herod wanted to see a a miracle or a trick done by him. He wanted to meet this man that he'd heard so much about, and Jesus refused. He he wasn't going to play into anybody's, uh, he wasn't going to entertain people. And I think, you know, maybe that's a point that we should bring up now is that Jesus isn't here for our entertainment. He's here for our salvation. He, he didn't come as a sideshow. He came as the main show. He is the purpose of history. He is the reason that creation exists in the first place. And when he entered history as a baby in Bethlehem, he came to conquer sin as a king. In Jerusalem. And that's important to remember. He's not a sideshow. He's the main show. And Herod wanted to treat him like a sideshow. And Jesus wasn't going to play into that. But it says that Herod was the one. Who dressed him in purple. Dressed him in royal robes. And sent him back to Pilate. (laughs) As a joke. Treated Jesus like a joke. Now. It says that in verse 12 of Luke 23 that up to that point Pilate and Herod had been enemies but in some way it doesn't say it in this way but this is the way my mind works so take it or leave it that um basically Herod did this thing to mock Jesus right and he sends him back with with royal robes to Pilate Pilate must have thought it was pretty funny because it says for that point on they became friends. Before that they were enemies, but from that day on, they Pilate and Herod became friends. And I think it's an important thing to note in our day and age that Jesus unites and divides. He can unite enemies to be that are enemies of the cross to be enemies of the cross together. And he can divide a household through his cross. Jesus said in one place in the Gospels, Don't think that I came to unite, but I came to divide. I came to bring a sword. And I will divide families even. And it's true that there's families that exist where not everybody's a believer. Not everyone is trusted in Christ. And even some parents mock their children who love Jesus. Or children mock their parents who love Jesus. Or brothers mock their brothers or sisters and vice versa. Jesus is a very powerful, not a very powerful, the very powerful being, and his name has power too. And he divides sometimes, and he unites sometimes, but we have to make a decision about Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why I called this, Who Who is Jesus? So... Opinions varied about who Jesus was. Uh, the opinions were, he's John the Baptist, he's Elijah, he's a prophet. They had high opinions, but the, those opinions weren't high enough. And we need to know the difference between opinion and fact, or opinion and truth. Remember, opinion is what someone thinks about a particular thing, right? Just come, Just because someone thinks something doesn't make it necessarily true, Correct doesn't necessarily mean it's true just because someone thinks that. And there's a such thing as having an informed opinion and an uninformed opinion. And you'll find as you go through the world, you'll find both. But opinions aren't... It's been said... uh, Never mind, I'm not going to say what it's been said about opinions. But um, remember when dealing with opinion... Opinion is opinion, and fact is fact. Your opinion can line up with a fact, but opinion does not make a fact. And no one has to believe something in order for a fact to be a fact. Does that make sense? Truth is truth, and fact is fact, whether it's believed or not. What happened, happened. And so, when we're assessing opinions, we need to remember there's this thing that's a law. Now, a law of nature is a law, and it can't be defied. And there's a law of logic called the law of non-contradiction. And I'm not going to get too deep into this, but the law of non-contradiction says A cannot be both A and non-A at the same time. What that means is if something is true, something that is untrue can't be true also. A cannot both be A and non-A at the same time. Think of it this way. A square circle. That's a logical impossibility. So not everything has to be okay. So if the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, but another group comes along and says that he's not, he can't both be God and not God. Does that make sense? We have to find out what's true and what's fact. Does that make sense, guys? Okay. Um, So we need to be able to assess with opinion what's right and what's wrong. Now, what we're going to read about, which we already read, but um, when Jesus was praying, he said there in verse 18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. You notice a similarity between that and the passage we just read before that? It's the exact same thing. In other words, the disciples are saying, look, This is what the crowds are saying, and this is what Herod's house is talking about. But how would they know that? How would they be able to know what's going on in Herod's house? Luke chapter 8 clues us in. There's a woman who followed Jesus and served him in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, whose name was Joanna. Joanna was the wife of a man named Chuzza, and Chuzza was the household manager of Herod the Tetrarch. Isn't that cool? That when you put your Bible together and you start putting verses together, you can see these things aren't impossibilities. These things are actually given to us in Scripture if we just do a little digging. That Joanna, a woman who served Jesus, would have clearly and easily known because her husband was a servant in the household of Herod. So he would have known this is what people are talking about at Herod's house. So when Jesus asks, asks, what is it? That the crowds say that I am. Who do the crowds say that I am? They can answer that clearly, because, in other words, I don't. I hate to call him a spy, but they have a spy in Herod's house. They know what's going on. They know what people are saying. And remember, that opinion is not high enough of who Jesus is. Is he? A, is he a prophet? Does he say prophetic things? Yeah, but he's more than a prophet. Does that make sense? Okay, so. Um just understand understand that it's not impossible for them to have known what was going on in Herod's house. It's actually very possible and the scripture gives us the answer. but the question comes up who do others say Jesus is? and that question applies to us today, right? Because Jesus has to be dealt with. We have to make a decision about Jesus and we're living in a time. In our country where it's becoming increasingly less and less popular to even deal with who Jesus is. But he still has to be dealt with. Like for instance, and this isn't in my notes. I wasn't going to bring it up. But how when I was in school, BC was the common way you referred to as time. Which meant before Christ. But now we've changed it because we don't want to deal with who Jesus is. The one whom we count all time to. We don't want to deal with that, so we've said BC means BCE, before common era. But that's really, what was the common era based on? Oh, the person of Jesus Christ. It's not that complicated. And, and anybody who's willing to take a look at it can see that it's just one way to sidestep who is Jesus. But we really do have to deal with who this person is, who Jesus is. Now, the opinions in that day were one thing, but there's opinions now. There's things that people believe about Jesus that exist. For example, and, and we have to examine them. There's opinions about Jesus, but are they factual? Are they true? And I don't mean to get overly apologetic in this, but this is what the text is presenting us. And so I want us to be able to understand this. Mormonism says that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer says that Jesus was married to three different women. That's the Jesus of Mormonism. Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet, he was born of a virgin, but he was never crucified, and he never resurrected. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was the first creation of Jehovah, not God himself. And that he was—he's also Michael the Archangel. So Jesus is an angel, not the son of—not the son of God, as we would say, the son of God. Which is always why it's important to define your terms when you're talking to other people. Um, uh, Baha'i says that Jesus was an enlightened teacher, um, and Hinduism treats him very similarly. So we have these opinions that oh, he's one of many prophets. He's one of many, um, enlightened beings, uh, even, um, like new age things like Oprah, um, bring him up as being like some sort of Christ consciousness. Like he just was, he was ahead of his time on being enlightened. And that's not the case. That's not how Jesus is presented in the Bible. We have to look at scripture Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen, And when we read scripture, there is where we get who Jesus is. Remember that scripture was written by eyewitnesses or written by interviews of eyewitnesses, which is how Luke was written. Luke interviewed eyewitnesses. Um, John was an eyewitness of Jesus. Paul, it says in due time, was an eyewitness of Jesus. These are eyewitness accounts that they went down in history dying, professing, saying these things are true. I saw them. I know who Jesus is. Even Catholicism has Jesus as being um, born of some born of a virgin who stayed a virgin and that Mary is, is a co-redemptrix with Jesus, not the one mediator between God and man, according to first Timothy. So we have to look at the Bible. We have to examine scripture and find out who he is because people will say one thing, but are they right? C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus. Let me grab this quote. I wanted to, Um, I've got my notes in a little bit wrong order. C.S. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Let me pause his quote. Remember, it's very popular even today to say that Jesus was a great moral teacher. Let me get back into his quote. It says, he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, C.S. Lewis said that in his book, Mere Christianity. Um, the Quran says, We killed Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary, the Messenger of Allah, but they killed him not, nor crucified him. But it was so made to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for of a surety they killed him not. So that's the Quran quoting, saying that Jesus didn't die. It just appeared that he died. Um, I've got a few, few opinions here. Napoleon said this of Jesus, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this, at this hour, millions of men would die for him. The Dalai Lama said this about Jesus. Jesus Christ also lived previous lives, he said. So you see, he, re- he reached a high state, either as Bahavad, bah- I can't even say it, or an enlightened person, through Buddhist practice or something like that. Then, at a certain period, certain era, he appeared as a new master. And then, because of circumstances, he taught certain views different from Buddhism. But he also taught the same religious values as I mentioned earlier. Be patient, tolerant, compassionate. This this is, you see, the real message in order to become a better human being. That's what the Dalai Lama said about Jesus. Now, remember, the Dalai Lama is supposed to be a God on earth, and it breaks my heart to hear Christians have any sort of reverence for him. You can pray for him for his salvation, but do not hold him up as saying anything of any value. Please. Don't go listen to this man speak. I'm saying that because I I can still remember a day when Christians that I went to church with were excited to see the Dalai Lama. He's a man who thinks that he's a reincarnated God. And he says this about our Jesus, who died for our sins. I thought I had one more quote, (laughs) but I don't. There's, um, oh, Josephus, that was the other quote, sorry. Josephus was a Roman historian, um, who never believed in Jesus, but this is what he said about Jesus. So he was—he lived around the same time as Jesus, and he was a historian of of, basically of the Roman government. He was a Jewish man who never believed in Jesus, but he said this about him. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a wise man, or excuse me, lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, the Jewish people, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Josephus said that in the works of Josephus. Um, It's important to remember that this man never believed in Jesus. Many people and many religions will say things about Jesus, but it's important to assess what does the Bible say about Jesus? And even more important than that, what did Jesus say about Jesus? I have, um, I don't normally do this. So, but I have a, um, a study done by Barna, which Barna is like this famous, they're like pollsters on religious things, um, in America. And so they did these polls about Jesus. It says the vast majority of Americans believe Jesus was a real person. More than 9 out of 10 adults say Jesus Christ was a real person who actually lived. 92% of Americans. See, see, I'm reading these to show that there's still to this day opinions about Jesus. Uh, Most adults, not quite 6 in 10, believe Jesus was God. 56%. About one quarter say that he was only a religious or spiritual leader like Muhammad or the Buddha. Remember what C.S. Lewis said about that. Um, the remaining one in six say they aren't sure whether Jesus was divine. Um, Americans are divided on whether Jesus was sinless. Um, about half of Americans agree, either strongly or somewhat, that while he lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. Just less than half disagree, either strongly or somewhat, that Jesus committed sins while on earth, 46%. And 2% aren't sure. Point is, is that Americans have opinions about Jesus. Napoleon had an opinion about Jesus. Um, throughout history, we've got people that have tried to deal with Jesus. But what did Jesus say about Jesus. We have to deal with who Jesus is. And remember this. I read this quote from a Bible dictionary. You can't separate Christ from Christianity. You can't separate Jesus from his teachings. What did he say about himself? And I wrote a couple passages down. So I want to take a look at a few of these passages. So if Jesus was just a good moral teacher, as a lot of people want to say, they have a high opinion of him, but not high enough in, in the way the Bible presents him. It says in... John 14 verse 6 Philip said to him sorry uh, that's verse 8 14 verse 6 says Jesus said to him I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me so Jesus made an exclusive claim that it's impossible to come to the Father to come to God except through Jesus. And that is a teaching of Jesus. So Jesus didn't leave us room as a good teacher without him also being the Savior. Does that make sense? He's got to be the Savior if he's a good teacher. Because if he's a good teacher, he just taught us in that one verse that he's the way exclusively, the truth exclusively, and the life exclusively. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Another thing Jesus taught about himself. He taught, let me look, uh, in Luke six twenty-eight through 29. Jesus taught. Um, they said to him, what must be, we, my tongue's tied, excuse me, let me start over. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he taught and narrowed all of the works necessary for salvation into this one thing, believing in him. So is that a good teaching? It is if it's true. But if it's true, then he's exclusively the way of salvation. So he's either a good teacher or he's not but we have to say that the Bible declares him to be more than just a good teacher. He's the exclusive savior of humanity. Let's look at what it says in verse 40 of chapter six. It says, Jesus said, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He just claimed to be the one who's raising us um, to resurrection through belief in him. So as a good teacher, I believe he's teaching a good thing. But if we don't believe him to be savior, then he can't be teaching a good thing. Does that make sense? I'm not despairing or as disparaging what Jesus is saying. I'm elevating what Jesus is saying because I believe what he's saying is true. But we can't just say he taught good things and not believe in him because he doesn't give us that option. Uh, verse 46, he says, um, Excuse me, verse 47 he says, truly truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Boom, if you believe in him, you have eternal life. That's what he taught. Uh Romans 10:27, not Romans, sorry, John 10:27. John 10:27 says this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. That's what Jesus taught. So we can't separate because he said so many things about himself. The teachings from the person. So the opinions that people have, who is Jesus? And remember, Jesus's question was born out of prayer. It says while he was praying. He looked at the disciples and said, who do men say that I am? And I believe, just as a side note, that's a great way to talk to people about Jesus. Ask questions. Questions are disarming. Questions aren't, um, how would I say, questions are, are way less offensive. Asking what someone's opinion is, and remember, everybody has opinions, and most people want to share them but asking questions who is Jesus? Um, I can remember a time where I was pretty nervous. Um, I was at the beach actually in Oregon, spending some time just, just praying with my Bible in my truck. It was one of those typical Oregon stormy fall times. The wind was blowing, the rain was coming down and I was praying. And, um, I had a Jehovah's Witness knock on my window of my truck. It's just a random thing. And you could tell she was a young girl. She was close to the same age as me. I was in my early 20s. And she was nervous, but she was doing what she thought was right. And I had never really spoken to anybody, um, you know, any Jehovah's Witnesses before. And I didn't know what to do. But, But my pastor had just taught this passage. And he said something along the lines of, just ask who is Jesus because that's what Jesus did. So she said, well, you know, I, I see that you're doing some thinking here. She obviously had seen me praying or something. Um, and I just wanted to give you some reading and she, I looked over in her hand and she had a watchtower magazine and she wanted to hand it to me. And I said, well, I, you know, I brought my Bible to read and she said, Oh, I like the Bible. And we had this conversation, but I started getting, you know, the heart pounding in the chest How am I going to deal with this? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I just said, well, uh, can I ask you a question? Who's Jesus? And then we spent the next, I don't know, 40 minutes talking about Jesus. And we kept it about Jesus. And we very much disagreed on who Jesus was. But I was confident in my Jesus because Jesus, the one that I worship, was the Jesus of the Bible. As he is taken and revealed in the whole of scripture. From Genesis to Revelation. That's who Jesus is. He is the great I am. Jesus said in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. Exodus 3.14, God said, I am that I am. John 10, um, he, he said, I and the Father are one. I just read that. And it says, and then the the Pharisees or the Jews, I can't remember which specific group, took up stones to stone him. And he said, for many a good work have I done for which of these do you stone me? And they said, not for a good work do we stone you, but because you being a man, make yourself God. There's claims that Jesus made that have to be dealt with. And we have to be able to look at scripture and say, who is Jesus? But even more importantly than that, Jesus asked the question. He asked, what's other people's opinion of me? Who do the crowd say that I am? And then he turned to him and said, who do you say that I am? Right? So that was the second question. Who do you say that I am? And you know what? Individually, that's the most important question in your entire life for you to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, that doesn't turn him into a buffet where we take what we like about Jesus And we leave what we don't about Jesus. But we have to take Jesus as he is and as he's revealed in scripture. Does that make sense? The moment we start treating him like a buffet, we make our own God and we become idolaters. Because if I say, well, I like the peaceful part of Jesus, but I don't like the judging part of Jesus. I like this part of Jesus, but I don't. I like the part of Jesus where he says, don't judge. But I don't like the part of Jesus where he says, talks about taking the plank out of your own eye so that you can help take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, you are to help someone with their sin. What I'm saying is is that we are making for ourselves our own God when we don't take Jesus as a whole As he's revealed in scripture. And when we make our own God. We make for ourselves a fake God. And that God has no power. That God is even less powerful than us. And God in the book of Isaiah. And the book of Jeremiah. Had some pretty choice things to say about idolatry. One of the things is. The people who worship idols become like the idols. Dumb. They can't talk. They can't hear. They can't move. They can't do anything. It's useless to believe in a made-up Jesus. I want Jesus. I want the real Jesus. And I want you guys to be able to answer, who is Jesus for yourselves? Who is Jesus? I want you to be able to say, Jesus is my Savior. This is the most important question of your entire life. Can you say, like is written in Song of Songs, Chapter 2, verse 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. Can you say, I belong to Jesus? See, Peter here makes a confession about him. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Jesus, or Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of God, right? In Matthew 16, it gives us a little bit more detail on that. Um, Let me read what Peter says there. It's the same exact account, but there's a few more words given. Matthew says, excuse me, Peter says in Matthew, I'm one page away here, Matthew 16. Um, verses 15 through 18. Um, sorry, right here. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Pretty awesome statement. He says, In the Luke account, it just says Peter confesses it and he says, you're right. And then it says that he told them not to tell anyone. But in Matthew's account, he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God, the Father, revealed to Peter who Jesus was. In In a sense, he opened his eyes to see who Jesus Christ really was. And Jesus said, ooh, you are right. You are so right, Peter. And you're Peter a little pebble and on this rock gargantuan think haystack rock in Cannon Beach gargantuan rock I will build my church but what Jesus was saying was the statement that you made that I am the Christ I am the Messiah the son of the living God that is what I will build my church on the church is built on the acknowledgement and the recognition that Jesus is the promised Messiah and the son of God Does that make sense? It is not saying, Peter, you're going to be the first pope. And because you said that, you're going to be the first pope. It's not what it says. That's not what the text says at all. That's a misinterpretation. But understand that the rock that the church is built upon is who Jesus is. And so that's what makes this question so vitally important that we be able to answer who is Jesus? Answer for yourself, Ben, who is Jesus? Answer for yourself, who is Jesus? We have to know who Jesus is, but it's personal. And it's a personal decision that you have to make. Who is Jesus? Now it says the next thing that Jesus said in Luke, let me me get there. Excuse me. It says, Peter answered the Christ of God in verse 21. And he strictly, Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one saying, listen, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Why would Jesus say that right after they acknowledged you're the Christ, you're the son of God don't tell anyone understand that I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day I will be raised that that puts to bed a, the discovery channel question that comes up every Easter. Did Jesus know he was going to die? Yes. The Bible says ahead of time that Jesus declared, I'm going to die. Not only that, but in John 10, he says, I laid down my life willingly for my sheep. No one takes it from me, he says in John 10. Did Jesus know he was going to die? Yes. But why would he say that right after they confess him as the Christ? And by the way, let me back up. Who is the Christ? The Christ means the Messiah, the promised one from the Old Testament. He'd been promised since Genesis chapter 3. The promised one, the king. The Christ is a king. Even the people who accused Jesus before Pilate, they said he said he's the Christ, a king. And if you let this man live who declares himself to be a king, you're not a friend friend of Caesar's. That was how they put Pilate between a rock and a hard place. Because Jesus being the Christ, being the anointed one, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy meant that he was a king. But Jesus ties the two things together, him being a king and him dying, being buried and resurrected cannot be separated because he came as the Messiah. He had to die and be raised the third day. Not only that, but when he calls himself the son of man, just a little side note, that's a reference from Daniel seven. He's declaring himself to be eternal when he says that he's the son of man. But that's a different teaching. The point is this. Him being the Christ. And when we call him Jesus Christ, we're calling him Jesus, the Messiah. We're declaring Jesus and then giving his title, the Messiah, the promised king. Jesus as the Christ is directly tied to Jesus, the crucified. Jesus, the resurrected. Jesus said in John 2, when he started flipping tables, you guys remember the story in John chapter two, um, he he goes into the temple and he says, um, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And you guys have made it a den of thieves. And he starts flipping tables over. You guys remember that? And he drove people out of the temple. It says, by what authority do you do these things? Let me read from it. John two eighteen. Oops. I went a little too far. John 2. 18 says the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered him, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, is this has taken 46 years to build this temple? And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The authority of Him being the Christ hinged completely on Him raising from the dead. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus ties those two together. Yes, you acknowledge who I really am. I am the Christ. Understand that as the Christ, I will die, I will be buried, and I will be raised the third day. So important. Jesus as the Christ is directly tied to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And his messiahship and his resurrection are not divorceable. It's important that we know who he is from scripture. I'm going to throw some references out. You guys can write them down. We don't have time to get into them right now. Acts 4, 10-12. Philippians 2, 5-11. Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. Declare specifically who Jesus is. We worship Jesus. As he's revealed in the Bible okay I know I've hammered that but it's important this is at the very heart of the life-changing message that we call the gospel the good news the heart of the gospel is this who do you say that Jesus is right remember the gospel according to Romans 1 is the power of God to salvation to all who believe the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who believe The gospel can be summarized like this. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 says, That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. That's the heart of the message of the gospel. That when Jesus died, he became sin for me. That I might become his righteousness. He took my place, absorbed the wrath of God. This is the big fancy Bible word known as propitiation. It means that he removed the wrath of God through the acceptance of the gift of grace. I like also what it says in John 3, of course. This is a very common one, but it doesn't matter because it's a very awesome one too. There's a reason that it's common because it's awesome. Just saying. Uh, John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Understand who Jesus is and what he's done. He loves you very, very, very much. He took my place and your place. And Acts 4 says that there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. You see... Just using the very term being saved denotes that we're in danger. We're in danger of facing God's wrath for the sins that we've committed, for the laws of God that we've broken. We're in danger of that. But Jesus took our place on the cross. He died for us. He loves us very much. And there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So my question for us, and this has to be asked by each one of us individually. For you, is Jesus an additive or a substitute? I'll explain this. So remember, we started with who is Jesus? Who do other people say Jesus is? Now, who do you say Jesus is? And this will help you answer who is Jesus to you. Is Jesus an additive or a substitute? An additive, according to Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, as a noun, is something, such as a chemical, that is added in small amounts to a substance to improve it in some way. A substitute is a noun, according to Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, is a person or a thing that takes the place of something or someone You hear the difference? An additive is something that's added to to improve. A substitute is something that takes the place of someone. So the question is for you, is Jesus an additive or a substitute? Is Jesus here to improve upon the life that you already have? In other words, I'm an okay guy, but I could add a little Jesus to my life and make myself better. Or is he a substitute where you say, no, I'm full of sin. I can't change my life. I need his life. I need him to take my place. I'm going to read a couple of verses and we'll see what does the Bible say. Does the Bible teach Jesus as an additive or does the Bible teach Jesus as a substitute? Does that make sense? Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this says for our sake he made him that's jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god first corinthians 2 2 says for i decided to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified colossians 3 3 and 4 says for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Galatians 2.20. This is my last verse for this point, And I'm actually almost done. But um, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm asking the question again. Does the Bible teach Jesus as an additive or a substitute? The the big theological term, and this will give you a clue, that as Christians we believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. That just means we believe that when he died and bled to take away our sins, he was taking our place. That makes him a substitute and not an additive. But I want you guys to be able to examine your life and just say, you know, am I just trying to add a little Jesus to improve on what I already have? Or am I relying on Jesus to be my substitute and allowing his life to be lived through me? Jesus as a substitute is Christianity. Jesus as an additive is something else. It's a question that we have to come to honestly. So the application then after that question is asked, is this. Get to know him better. Not really a hard application, is it? Get to know him better. Who is Jesus? Well, who is he? Who is he to you? Look at the Bible. See what it says about him. Now, do you know him? I encourage you to come to a conclusion about Jesus. And no decision is decision. And come to know him through trust and repentance. And if you already know him as savior, don't stop. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I have a quick little story that's kind of silly. So when I, I don't even know if I was born. No, I wasn't born yet. My mom is a twin, as most of you know. She's a twin to my aunt because that's how genetics work. Um, Early on, when my, my dad first married my mom, he went to work, gave my mom a hug, said, I'll see you when I get home from work. She was wearing a specific thing. And he came home from work the next, or not the next day, that or later on in that day. And he saw my mom sleeping on the couch, wearing the same thing she was wearing before. And so he's like, I'm going to sneak up on my, my new bride and I'm going to give her a kiss. And so he snuck up to the couch and he got real close and realized, oh no, that's not my wife. He didn't kiss my aunt. Don't worry. But the point is, is that he became familiar enough with his real wife that even though that wife, or not that wife, that sister looked close to his wife, familiarity made him understand that is not my wife. And it's a little bit of a silly story. What had happened was my mom had taken that sweatshirt off. And my aunt said, hey, I'm kind of cold. Can I wear your shirt? And so she had put it on. And she had her back turned on the couch. So they looked exactly the same. They're identical twins. And then once he got close, he realized, that's not my wife. Nothing weird happened. But the point in the story is this. When you become familiar with Jesus... You'll be able to answer those questions. You don't have to know everything about every other belief system. You don't have to know everything about every cult that there is. You have to know this. I know Jesus. And I have purpose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I know Jesus, I know who's not Jesus. Does that make sense? Even if it's kind of close. Even if the Mormonism Jesus is kind of close to the other Jesus. As soon as you hear a few of those details about the Mormon Jesus, you're like, that's not the Jesus that I know. Why? Because you know him. Know him. Last two Bible verses I'm going to close with and then we're going to pray. <coughs> second Peter, this is how he closes the book of second Peter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chapter three, verse 18. But grow in the grace of And knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord and Savior, excuse me, Jesus Christ. Know Jesus and keep growing in knowing him. Wait a minute. Keep growing in knowing him. That kind of has a flow to it. But remember... You're not done until you're done. Right? We can always grow in our knowledge of him. John 17, 3. This is the last verse I want to camp on or end on. And then we'll pray. John 17, 3. This is in the middle of Jesus' what some people call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 3 it says, And this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent Christianity is about eternal life but it's about eternal life through Jesus and Jesus said this about eternal life this is eternal life he gave the description and the definition of eternal life knowing the father and knowing Jesus that's eternal life So may we grow in knowing him and may we be able to rightly answer and ask, who is Jesus? We want to be able to have that. You need to know and you need to not be duped by a counterfeit. Know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you for dying for our sins, Jesus. Thank you for being buried. And thank you for resurrecting. And I pray that anybody who hears this would know how to answer the question, who is Jesus? Lord, it's so important. We need you. I pray for each one of us that's here and each one of us that listens to this, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you. And thank you for being so merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.